0: To Totalis Rankium this week, Arcadius. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperors Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie and I'm Rob, ranking all up the emperors from Augustus to Augustus, and this is episode seventy, Arcadius, milestone episode. Yes. Because it's seventy? Yeah. Yeah, that's Hit the big seven O. The big seven that's quite good. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a septenary? S- S- Septade. It's like a decade but seven. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Septade. Oh, well done. Septade. Well done, Arcadius. Possibly the last time you'll hear that this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so a lot of people have been saying that Arcades isn't very good. I think we're going to find a gem. I think he's going to get a Genet Cesar, and he'll be brilliant. Yeah? That's my prediction. Hidden gem. Hidden gem. Okay, let me take a cup, sip of this lovely hot coffee, and then we'll start. Oh, what mug is that, Rob? That's a Totanus Rankium mug I'm drinking oh. my coffee out of. We'll be sending some of those out soon to our donators, won't we? Yes, we will. Okay, well, let's, let's do this. Let's see if he is a diamond in the rough. Rather than just a shard of coal. <laughs> just falling off the back of a donkey. <laughs> so, he is the son of Theodosius yeah. and Flachilia. Flachilia. Or Flachilla. I think we had this last week, didn't we? Probably. So hard, hard name to say. Anyway, Flachy. He was Flavius Arcadius. Good name. He was born in 377 in Hispania when Theodosius was in exile after his father, the count, was executed. Mm. And Hispania, like I said last week, is in Spain. Yes, yeah. Modern day Spain for you. You're still on top of it, I see. Yes. So when Arcadius was very small, his father suddenly was elevated to the purple. Yeah. Which probably gave as a bit of a shock. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. Arcadius would not have seen much of his father for a while because he was busy fighting the Goths in the Danube region. Presumably, he moved closer to the Danube, maybe even Constantinople, we don't really know. But Arcadius was somewhere whilst Theodosius was doing all that fighting in the Danube. Yeah, that's true. And Constantinople is in modern-day Ghana. (laughs) Close enough. So, let's fast forward to when Arcadius is six. The fighting with the Goths was mostly over, and news comes through that the Emperor in the West... Gratian was dead. Oh. Magnus Maximus was revolting. He needs to have a bath, someone said, and yeah. he was immediately fired. <laughs> his father then declared that his son, Arcadius, was now Augustus. <laughs> so, do well done, Arcadius, you're six years old and you're now Augustus. Ah, he's not the youngest, because youngest was four-year-old. Valentinian II, yes, two. was only four. So oh. he's not getting a certificate. Sorry, Arcadius. He's one chance to earn something. (laughs) Yes, and he failed. (laughs) But this did make it clear that Theodosius' line were the rightful emperors at this point. This is Theodosius making a point here. Yeah. Shortly afterwards, at the age of seven, Arcadius was introduced to his little brother. Hello. (laughs) It's a formal meeting. (laughs) Hello there. Yes, this is Honorius. Honorius was born around this time, so he's now got a little brother. Oh, apparently he's really bad as well. I can't believe you. You know all of this only because people been putting it on when they're commenting on our Facebook page, which is on Facebook. <laughs> <Yes>. and, <laughs> they just put about how bad he is. And so it's kind of... um, I don't want to ruin anything, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> or no, or maybe Diamond of the What? And, Dwarf. and also, nice. we watched that video last night. <laughs> yes, we. Do. Of the ten worst emperors and Honorius was on there twice. or <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, yes. two different lists. Yeah, no, he was. So was Arcadius. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, dear. Uh, that's when I started screaming, stop watching, stop watching, you'll ruin everything. <laughs> yeah. So, as covered before, Theodosius spends a while trying to deal with Persia mm. to free himself up to deal with Magnus. At this time, flacilia Flacidilia? Yeah, his mother died. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you sound quite sad, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What would she die of? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. Can we decide? Yeah. Elephant. Yes. Death by elephant. So, it would appear that if they didn't live in Constantinople by now, then this was when they moved in. They're definitely in Constantinople at this point. Okay. So, at this point, Constantinople's pretty much the capital, isn't it? Uh, Unofficially. C- capital of the East, yeah. Yeah. Rome, for its history, is quite prestigious still. Yeah. Uh, Milan, for its culture, mm. is, is up there. And Rome mm. is in modern-day Italy. Yes, yes. So, yeah, well. yeah. doing well. See, doing well. Don't just stare at walls. <laughs> I know stuff. <laughs> stare at a wall with a map on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, in Constantinople, it's around this time that Arcadius' father marries again. you remember, Theodosius marries Gala, the daughter of Valentinian, the brother of Valentinian II. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is where, according to Zosimus, Theodosius says, I'll only fight if, you know, I'm just sort of... <laughs> Wink, wink, nudge. Yeah, half a nod in the direction of his sister, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, fist pump. <laughs> <laughs> <Also>. <laughs> Let's hope not, <laughs> but maybe. So, Gala, being only about eight years older than Arcadius, is ten at this point. <laughs> no, no, not eight. Eight years older. Good. <laughs> yeah, Gala's about eighteen here. Arcadius is about ten. So. Wow. Yeah, new stepmother. So, yeah, a little bit weird. She's, she's quite young. And she's soon pregnant. Oh, and gives birth to a boy, Gratian. Named after Gratian. He becomes emperor, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. He dies oh. very shortly afterwards. He does not last long. Oh. Yeah, it's a shame. However, she then gives birth to a daughter, also yeah. named Gala. And this half-sister of Arcadius and Honoris will pop up again. So uh, keep an eye on her. Put a box around Yes, Gala the Younger. In the meantime, Theodosius had defeated Magnus, massacred some goths and some chariot-racing enthusiasts, <laughs> like you do, and then had been defeated politically by Ambrose in Milan. Saw so yes. that stuff going on with him grovelling in the cathedral. During this time, Arcadius stayed in Constantinople, not doing much. No. At this point, Arcadius and Gala, around 13 and 20, were not getting on at all. Well, you wouldn't, would you? You really wouldn't. Go away. Stop following me around. <laughs> Mummy, I'm not your mother. <laughs> Weird child. Yeah. Just get the impression they just did not like each other. No. Even suggested that one of the reasons why Theodosius comes back from Milan was not because he was escaping Ambrose, but because he had to come back to sort out the falling out between Gala and Arcadius. Oh, dear. Yeah. Just comes back. Right, you two. <laughs> it out now. Do the thing where each one holds a little toy, they have like their say, and they pass the yeah. toy on, and they go, a... She's not my real mum! I know, I might as well keep telling you. <laughs> Follow me around. See this Mother's Day card? RIP. Oh, Ooh. harsh. Yeah. A few years later, <laughs> that meeting of reconciliation took a while, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yes, news comes through that shocks the royal family. <gasps> they said, Because Valentinian too. Remember, this is Gala's brother. Yeah. Was dead. Ooh, oh, dear. Arbogast, the man in charge of the West, insisted it was suicide. Honest. Seriously, it's suicide. I didn't kill him. He fell on that knife. Yeah. Now, we know that Gala was a little bit distraught. Oh, dear. My F- safety net's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Filling the court with lamentations, according to Zosimus. <laughs> but Arcadius's response is not recorded. I doubt he cared very much, to be honest. Who? Yes. Your brother-in-law. Have we met? Uh. As covered last week, this leads to Arbogast revolting with another puppet emperor, and soon Theodosius was organising the defeat of this uprising. Mm. Arcadius's little brother Honorius <clears throat> was risen to the purple. Oh, dear. Yes. Very exciting. He's now His little brother's now Augustus as well. <laughs> so two brothers, Augustus. Hmm. That always ends up well. Going on. Oh, it that. always ends up well, yeah. definitely. So Theodosius very busy raising the army and um, doing a few other things hmm. because Gala was soon pregnant again. Again. Yes. a rabbits. Unfortunately, however, she dies due to complications in pregnancy. Ah. Oh. Yes, just before Theodosius sets off to war. Ooh, that's going to play on your mind, isn't it? Well, it certainly is. He mourned for a day, apparently, and then set off, so <laughs> it didn't, didn't play on his mind for long. Whoa, is. oh, you've got the horses ready. Fantastic. Excellent. Off we go. Black arm manned off. <laughs> so, Daddy's off to war. Arcadius and Honorius are left in Constantinople. <laughs> so they're on their own, a massive palace. <laughs> <laughs> Where have they gone? Daddy? I don't know. Where's fake mummy? <laughs> well, actually, no, because they, as, as they were saying that into an empty cathedral-type room, <laughs> yeah. there was the sound of footsteps behind them. They turn, and it's none other than Rufinus. Who? You mentioned him last week. Yes, I did briefly mention him last week. You said he's important. Yes, and you'll start to see why. Arcadius is about 17 by this point, so he wasn't old enough to be trusted to rule on his own, although we have seen emperors younger than that. Alexander? Yes, although he definitely had his, his tutors. Yeah. So Rufinus is really in charge here. Okay. So he he sort of ushers the boys to a, a room that they can relax in and gets on with the business of ruling the East. It's not too long after that news comes through that Theodosius has won the war. Yay. Daddy is victorious. And it's not long before he was in Milan. But then some bad news. No. Their father was ill. Ooh. A little brother Honorius was to go west, just in case someone needed to be on hand to take over the west. And in the meantime, Arcadius would ready himself to take over as Senior Emperor. Of the East, I guess. Yes. And sure enough, soon after in 395, Arcadius receives news that his father was indeed dead. And he now was in charge, and his brother held the West. How do you think he took that? Like a, oh no! <laughs> or a, yeah, it will be fine. If it was a, yeah, this will be fine, then he was probably soon disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's like excellent I've got all these ideas I wanted to push through reforms <laughs> yeah it just turns into a series of yes minister forum excellent yeah so I've got the box set. I haven't yet to watch it. Oh, have you not watched Yes no. Minister? I've got Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister as a combined thing. Yeah, that's good. You should watch it. Yeah, Those of you who don't know what it is, it's uh, about a minister trying to do his job, but the civil service getting in the way. So maybe that was what it was like for Arcadius. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. We now have Arcadius as emperor. Yeah. And he's been emperor for a while, but now he's really emperor. Yeah. Sole emperor. Apart from his brother. Apart from his brother. Yeah. (laughs) Semi-soul (laughs) emperor. Yeah. (laughs) And now now we've got to the death of Theodosius. I'm going to pause from the narrative for a moment. Okay. And try and explain a couple of things. Ooh. Yes, because in order to understand what's going on for the rest of Arcadius' life, we need to pull back slightly and look at the bigger picture. Okay. Because the story of his rule and beyond is a power struggle between several people and groups who dominate the story. All right. And uh, we've not really looked at them yet. So Theodosius had united the empire quite well. Yeah. Politically and religiously, it was more stable than it had been for quite some time. Yeah. But within months of his death, there are three regions of power that develop. Okay. We have number one, Honorius in the west, actually being led by the general Stilicho, who I mentioned last week. Stilicho, yes. Number two was the Goths in the Danube, being led by a man named Alaric. Alaric? Yeah. And then number three is Arcadius in the east, led by, for now, Rufinus. So really, we've got Stilicho, Alaric, and Rufinus Rufinus in charge. (laughs) Yes, and you've got those three men all vying for power. Yeah. Now, I don't want to ruin Honorius' episode too much by going over too much detail what's going on in the West with Stilicho, but the stories do overlap with the added complication that Alaric and his story overlaps both of them. Okay. It all gets a bit bit confusing. So I'm going to give a brief introduction to the main players here, and then we'll learn more, more about Stilicho and Alar- Alaric next week. Okay. So to begin with, Stilicho... Stilicho! Stilicho was a general under Theodosius who happened to have a vandal mother. Ooh. Breaking things all the time she was. Hey. <sighs> Despite this, however, he, he was Roman. He would have seemed Roman to all who did not know. He would have viewed himself as Roman. Uh, he, he was just a Roman. Apart from the fact he had uh, safety pins stuck in his jacket and yeah. <laughs> piercings and, and Mohican. Yes, he, he, Stilicho was always referred to as the vandal general. I'm thinking punk. Yeah. In history books, so you get this impression that he was quite barbarian-esque, and he really wasn't. No, he was and through really Roman. He happened to have a vandal mother. However, despite the fact he would have seemed very, very Roman because he was, the prejudice at the time meant that there's no way he would have been able to become emperor. And this makes him perfect for Theodosius, who liked capable men. Yeah. But this stopped him from being a threat. He was never going to try and usurp because he couldn't be emperor himself. So the only way he could really gain power is if through influence. Yes, which he was doing quite well under yeah. Theodosius. He was one of Theodosius' top generals. So if you remember last week, Stilicho was trusted enough to broker the peace with the Persians. Yeah. And then, as a reward, was married to the niece of Theodosius. Ooh. So he's married into the family. Then, once Arbogast revolts, Stilicho helped Theodosius raise the army and set off the battle with him, helping him on the road to victory. Yay. Theodosius then gets ill. And met with his trusted general. Theodosius told him to guide his son Honorius and run the west until the boy came of age. Hmm. Not only that, but according to Stilicho himself, Theodosius had also told him to look after Arcadius. Hmm. Stilicho, in fact, should be in charge of the whole empire, keeping it safe, of course, yeah. until the boys come of age. As long as nothing happens to them. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone looked a bit confused when Stilicho announced this after Theodosius' death, asking him, when did Theodosius say this? And Stilicho replied that Theodosius had told him in private, on his deathbed. (laughs) And despite the coughs that sounded suspiciously like words, (laughs) Stilicho stuck to his story. Yeah. He was in charge of Milan and Constantinople. So quite big places then. Well, he is in charge of Milan. But he's not in charge of Constantinople, he's ah. just claiming he is. Ooh, okay. So we have a bit of tension there. Stilicho is in his mid-40s at this point. So there you go, that's Stilicho, and that's what he's up to at the moment. Let's move on to the next man. Alaric. So, that's the West. What about this new power in the middle, the Goths under Alaric? Alaric was a young but well-respected Gothic soldier. At 21, he was leading a band of Gothic raids in the Danube, but was stopped by none other than Stilicho himself. No. At some point, he and his men join Theodosius. And when Arbogast revolts, Alaric is in the forces that march west to fight. Now, if you remember, the start of the battle between Arbogast and Theodosius, yeah. the one in the Alps, yes, and the first thing Theodosius decides to do is... A daring frontal attack. Yeah. And when he's going eeny meeny miny moe through his <laughs> troops, he happens to land on the Goths oh. to lead that charge. Excellent. But that might be that strategically that might be a good idea though. You're the fighty ra one, just bombard them. Well, that was the plan. And it failed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. The Goths were slaughtered, possibly ten thousand of them died that day. Ooh. Yes. However, as we know, Theodosius went on to win thanks to the wind. Oh yes, remember. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's the only reason why he managed to win that one. But Alaric, who was in this battle, and his goths were barely even thanked afterwards. They were just dismissed. <gasps> That's the worst thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We all died for you. Yeah, not even a not even a little card. No, not even one of those annoying ones that plays a little tune when you open it. Yeah. Do 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 do. Thank you for being slaughtered for me. do 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 do. One of those. Like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, Alaric and the Goths, understandably, a bit miffed. Rumour starts to go round that Theodosius purposely tried to kill off as many of the Goths as possible during the battle. Something that they were quite ready to believe after the massacre of Goths that Theodosius had done before. All the evidence points to it. (laughs) Yeah. So, bitter and angry, Alaric and his men... Leave the army. It soon decided that Alaric should be their leader, Ooh. and they swore to fight against the Romans. Rawr. So Alaric is in his mid-twenties at this point, and now is the, essentially the king of the Goths. Okay. And they are loose in the Danube region. <laughs> so, on to our last person. Rufinus! Last, and let's be honest, least... is Rufinus, who is ruling the East at the moment, looking after the Emperor Arcadius, our man today. Rufinus worked his way up the greasy honorum, until he was made Master of Offices in 388. A Master of Offices at this time, was just one below Praetorian Prefect. All right. In practical power terms, you were in charge of the administration of the Imperial Court. Oh. You knew where all the paperwork was. Oh, good at filing that, can I? Yeah, so. All the all the soldiers' names alphabetised. Yeah. You can find anything. Can you fetch me a 32C form, please? Here we go! Yeah, he was just like that. He knew. Ooh. He knew his forms. Duplicated as well. And if you know your forms, you can wield a lot of power. That's true. Yes. You had, like, a special box with all the scandal stuff in there. They could just pull out any time. Oh, the dirt box. Yeah. Yes. Massive dirty box. Yeah, he probably did. You did what? (laughs) With who? How many times? Yes, he was obviously trusted by Theodosius, because he was the one left in charge of Constantinople, as we've mentioned. That's so trusted by Theodosius that in 392, he was made consul of the year, or part of the year. And also Praetorian Prefect of the entire East. So he's now very powerful. Yeah. Over the next couple of years, he managed to outmanoeuvre all others with political ambitions, even assassinating a rival at one point. Oh. While he was riding home on his horse. Wow. Yeah. Takes some bow and arrow skills. <laughs> well, it might not have been a bow and arrow, but I'd say it was a bow and arrow. Yeah. yeah. As, as he was riding home. Didn't just threw it. <laughs> <laughs> threw <Through> the bow. <laughs> yeah. Boing. What was that? And then the whole trip? Yeah. And fell off the horse. Yeah, that's what, that's what he did. So, because he's Praetorian Prefect and he's in charge of Arcadius, he is in charge of the East. Yeah. So there you go, there's, there's our three men. Okay. Who are vying for power. Silico seems most dangerous um, in terms of manipulation, wanting the big things. Yeah. Alaric seems the most, don't know what he's going to do next, because he's just roaming around. Yeah, What what surprised me when doing my research, because obviously... I've heard of Alaric before and I know of Alaric. Mm. Didn't realise how young he was. He, was, he was 21, I, wasn't he? Yeah, I always m- imagined him being roughly the same age as Silico mm. because those two fight it out for quite some time. <laughs> but no, he's he's only in his mid 20s, as Alaric, mm. at this point. Right, anyway, let's get back to Arcadius's story, shall we? Yay! Yes. I'm going to be honest Arcadius does not feature much. Lack of sources or just no point? <laughs> just no point. I mean, quite a lot happens. Okay. But not with Arcadius. So no. throughout the next section, just imagine Arcadius, while everything else is going on, maybe looking wistfully out of a window in Constantinople <laughs> or or painting a landscape or, oh or, or playing the pipes or something. Ooh. So he's just at home. Doing nothing. Not doing much. Okay. <laughs> you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes. Yeah. The the young prince who just wants to sing. Yeah. And he's got an angry father. Yeah. 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 Maybe a bit like that. Excellent. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah. Got the image. Right, so he's doing that. Let's, let's get back to the people who are actually doing stuff. So, yeah. first of all, Rufinus receives a letter from Stilicho saying that Stilicho considers himself in charge of Constantinople as well as Milan. Okay. Rufinus, probably scoffing at this, just decides to ignore it because there was more important news. A group of Goths under their new king, Alaric, had revolted and we're now rampaging through the Danube region and heading straight for Constantinople. Ooh, oh dear. Yeah. Rufinus doesn't have an army at this point. The east sent their army west, with Theodosius to feed Tarbogast. of oh, so course. Stilicho has all the men. Oh. <laughs> and Alaric's heading for Constantinople. So all he, Rufinus can do is pull up the gates. <laughs> Which actually is fine, because as we mentioned before, the Goths were not good at taking cities. That's true. They're just not very good at siege warfare. And Constantinople was a hard city to take, harder than most. Really? Yeah, we'll go into details about that in a a couple of episodes. Big walls. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. (laughs) Those walls are impressive walls. Big. We'll we'll wait for another episode to describe them massive. (laughs) Yes. So, the Gothic attack did not last any time at all, and Alaric turned around and headed back into the Danube region to just generally do some pillaging. (laughs) There is some suggestion that this move by Alaric was just to sort of introduce himself to Arcadius and Rufinus. (laughs) Cooey! I'm here, by the way! (laughs) Didn't want to go down the whole fruit basket route, (laughs) then. No. (laughs) Some historians even suggest that Rufinus paid them off at this point. Although, there's little evidence of this, but possibly that's why the siege was so quick. Not a bad strategy, though, if you did. Yeah. Now, it was not long before the army arrived. Me. Now, don't forget, East and West are still part of the same empire, and although tensions are starting to rise between Stilicho and Venus, yeah, they're not so bad yet that Stilicho's going to ignore a group of Goths attacking the capital yeah. city. Okay. So, Stilicho is on his way, reaches the Danube, and the Goths and Stilicho start fighting it out a bit, but not too much, and we'll go into more detail on that next week. However, while Stilicho and Alaric battle this out, Rufinus was dealing with his own troubles in Constantinople. Rufinus had decided that Arcadius needs a wife. (laughs) And who better... Than his daughter? Than his daughter, yes, (laughs) well done. (laughs) However, Rufinus had made enemies at court. Oh dear. And one of them was a eunuch called eutropius eutropius was master of officers at this point oh okay yeah the role that rufinus used to have so now he's got the dirt file and eutropius was able to steer arcadius's attentions to the beautiful daughter of a prominent general in the army okay and it worked arcadius got married to a woman called eudoxia Shortly afterwards, Rufinus was outraged. His attempts to enter the royal family had failed. Damn it! So, back out onto the fields of battle. Stilicho had managed to outmaneuver the Goths and soon had them pinned down. According to our best sources, Stilicho was about to deliver the final blow. Alaric was about to be defeated. When suddenly, Stilicho receives orders from Arcadius. As in Rufinus. Yeah, yeah. Orders are, Return the eastern troops and go back to Italy. Apparently, Stilicho was outraged by this, but loyal and did what the letter said, allowing Alaric to escape. I feel that might come back to bite him in the arse later on. <laughs> Quite possibly, although this is generally discounted by modern historians. All right. It's more likely that, just like Theodosius before him... yeah. Stilicho realised that all or nothing battles with the Goths is quite dangerous. Yeah, You don't want to do that. It's much better to put pressure on them and then recruit them into your army. Yeah, yeah. So it's far more likely here that after seeing the immediate threat gone, Stilicho just retreats back to the west and returns some of the eastern troops to Constantinople because that is where they're based. Fair enough. But why would Stilicho so easily give up troops? That does seem a bit weird. Following orders. Possibly following orders. The troops didn't belong to him. These were men as I said, had gone west to fight Arbogast, so they did need to be returned, but there was another reason. Give him the bad army. (laughs) Send him the goths. Send all the ones that have, like, lost a limb in fighting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All the blind deaf ones. Yeah. With no hands. Um, maybe that. But also, this detachment of troops was led by a general named Gainus. Okay. And he was put in charge of taking the troops to the eastern capital. And, as they marched off, just, uh, Home in on Gainus's pocket, because in there, tucked away neatly, are some very specific orders. Oh. <laughs> a few miles out of Constantinople, Arcadius and Rufinus comes out to meet the incoming troops. <laughs> Hello! How wonderful our troops are here! I'm so happy to see you. The troops were put on parade to show off to the young emperor when a signal was given. Gainus and... Kill him! <laughs> Now, remember the secret (laughs) signal. Stab him in the face! (laughs) It's when I run into the clearing screaming, (laughs) waving my arms about. (laughs) Die, die, scum, die. Yeah. Yeah? Kill the Emperor right now. We already here. (laughs) Yes, you you have predicted this well. Gainus and his men surround Rufinus and hack him to pieces. okay. So Rufinus is dead. However, if this assassination was supposed to strengthen Stilicho's hold on the east, it does not work. Oh. Before Gainus could take advantage of this situation the eunuch Eutropius had stepped into the power vacuum that Rufinus left. Okay. Eutropius was no more of a fan than Stilicho than his predecessor was. Yeah. So now we have three power bases again. We've still got Stilicho in the west with a slightly smaller army Alaric slightly diminished but still in control of the Danube in the middle and Arcadius is now controlled by Eutropius with the help of the emperor's wife Eudoxia. Yeah. So, a bit of background on Eutropius now. Yeah, Eutropius. We don't have any details on Eutropius's early life. Brilliant. <laughs> but we do know he was a eunuch in the palace. Right, I've been dying to ask. <laughs> what is a eunuch? <laughs> oh, well, let's go into details here. I just, I, I, think I know. I'm yeah. not hundred percent sure. Let's. Uh, I've, been, I've been, I've been sitting on a quote about eunuchs honestly, for six months, waiting Have for you? a good moment. Okay, I'll so, settle for this then. Yeah, we're, we're coming to it. So, because we know Eutropius was a eunuch, we can make some assumptions about his early life. And let's let's find out exactly what a eunuch is. A eunuch is simply just a castrated man. Ooh. Ooh, why? <laughs> well, why do this? Well, I know that in, in um, opera, these are the castrati. Yeah. Italian singers where they would... Basic eunuchs had the... Falsetto <laughs> voice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Haunting sort of singing. That's one reason. Um, but certainly not the main and not how it started. To massively oversimplify this, go back thousands of years. Okay, yeah. done. Good. Right, now, men, people discovered quite early on, tend to cause trouble. They do. They do. Okay. <laughs> Look at history, it's full of men causing trouble, isn't yep. it? Yeah, or fighting. And what is the root Of this trouble quite often. Oh. Their advantage. Big advantage. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Now, if you take away their advantage, they can serve various functions without causing trouble. Now, this is a massive oversimplification, but generally, that's why it got started. To calm people down. (laughs) If you do that again, well, I don't even want to say what I do. (laughs) So, throughout history, eunuchs have been entertainers, soldiers, advisors, officials, guardians, priests, just about anything you can think of, really. You can find eunuchs in just about all cultures around the world. In ancient Japan, ancient China, uh, the rise of Islam, Mediterranean, so Mm. Rome and Greece. You you just find eunuchs all over the place. This is something that humans tend to do in history. You get two types of eunuchs. Number one, those that underwent the procedure before puberty. The lack of testosterone means that when they grow up, they're slightly more feminine. Yeah. And more noticeable as eunuchs. Yeah, so apparently. they probably wouldn't grow facial hair. They probably have a high voice, higher voice, and. Yes, and apparently often grow slightly taller and have softer bones. Really. Yes, yeah, so they're a bit more delicate. Oh. <laughs> they could break easily. <laughs> Play nicely with your eunuch. <laughs> And the second was a man who had the procedure done after puberty. They would just resemble what they did beforehand. No, yeah. no sudden changes or anything. Yeah. And now to the question that I know you want answering: How were eunuchs created? Oh. Now we have a report of a doctor in the six hundreds. So a couple of hundred years after where we are okay. right now. But... Hang on, I'm just going to cross my legs. <laughs> <Carry on. laughs> this man wrote down a huge amount of medical texts. Including this extract. And seriously, if you're listening and you're a bit squeamish, you might want to skip this. (laughs) You, however, Jamie, are going to be forced to listen. Front row seat. Brilliant. Oh, yes. Now, before I start, creating eunuchs was illegal in the Roman Empire, despite the fact they used them all the time. (laughs) So you weren't allowed to do it? You weren't allowed to create a eunuch, but you could own one and you could employ one. So, with that contest, I will quote... (laughs) Since even though we are unwilling, often we are compelled by certain of our superiors to make a eunuch. The method of undertaking must be discussed in brief. There are two methods. Oh, one being incision. Oh, the other being crushing. Oh, that's not a good word. <laughs> oh, it's really not. <laughs> no, don't worry. He goes into detail. Oh, crushing. Uh. <laughs> is accomplished in this way. While still young, and I mean this if you are squeamish, <laughs> <laughs> just skip ahead. While still young, the child is placed sitting in a basin of hot water. Then, when the parts are warmed, in that same basin, you crush the testicles with your fingers until they are made to disappear, huh. and succumbs, being dissolved, no longer can be felt in your grasp. Oh, my God. The process of incision goes something like this. Let the person being made a eunuch be placed prone on a table. And with the fingers of the left hand, let the scrotum be stretched along the fingers. And once they are stretched taut, let two incisions be cut longitudinally, with one over each testicle. And then, when the testicles pop out... (laughs) They are cut out once they have been dissected around, leaving only the thinnest connections that normally bind the vessels together. This method is judged better than crushing. Yes, it is! Not, however, because it was considered slightly more humane, but because the crushing method apparently could still leave a eunuch sexually active if you didn't fully crush enough. Uh-huh. That's horrible. That's the worst thing you've ever described. I'm talking, you've described villages being destroyed and innocent people dying and litres of blood on the street. That is by far the worst. It's it's not good, is it? Oh, no. Yes, unfortunately. The pain. Yeah, the pain. So that's how a eunuch was created. Mm. Are you okay? I, I think so. <laughs> but <Better> the <than> eunuchs... <laughs> So, eunuchs were not unheard of in the early days of the Roman Empire, but like I said, it was illegal to actually castrate boys, so you'd have to get them from outside the empire. However, slowly over time, the practice of having them around increased. By Diocletian's time, they were starting to be normal, and by this time we are now, you could not move imperial cities for eunuchs doing admin, running offices, taking messages, etc. They were just seen as the natural civil service okay so do you think the children that would have had it done it was done so they could you'd have those people for civil services like, yes this was, will be your job this is a career path for them oh yeah so i don't want to be a civil servant <laughs> i'm to be a soldier sit down little timmy <laughs> <laughs> no <Yeah. laughs> So, and again, the, the question of why is raised in my mind. Why do you need Unix for Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> Good question. They are non-threatening. You can trust them not to attempt to get above their station. You could trust them not to do anything rash because they were hot-headed over a woman, for example. Mm. They were harder to blackmail because they weren't getting involved in things that could be blackmailed. Um are just generally slightly more secure and don't have getting to know other people on the brain all the time. Yeah. So you just get more done. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. can only assume this is why, because I can't see any other advantages. <laughs> Pardon the word. <laughs> yeah. So, back to Eutropius. Eutropius was an example of how high a eunuch could get. Yeah. you got some powerful eunuchs. And he's currently the master of officers. So once he managed to block Rufinus's choice of marriage, Eutropius now had a close ally who was the wife of the emperor. Remember, Eudoxia, the wife, yeah. is only empress because of Eutropius. That's true. So, close ally there. And this meant, should anything happen to Rufinus, such as him being hacked to pieces, <laughs> Eutropius would be quickly elevated. He was primed ready okay. to become number one advisor here, which he was. So now that Eutropius was in charge, things stabilised between East and West a little bit. And see no rash decisions. Yes. (laughs) There were some rocky patches, such as in 404, Eudoxia was given the title Augusta, and the West were not happy about this. Mm. This title's not been used much in recent times. No. Like gone are the days of Livia and Agrippina from the Julio-Claudians, and if you remember the Julias from the Severan yep. dynasty. Yeah, we've not had many powerful women on the scene for quite some time, have no, we? No, good point. No. Theodosius and Valen's wives were both given the title of Augusta, and that was kind of accepted, but Arcadius was a puppet emperor, mm-hmm. and everyone knew this. So how could the wife of a puppet be given the title Augusta? So, the West, not too happy with this development. You also get the impression that just generally the misogyny of the Romans is in full swing by this time. Under Ambrose's guidance in Milan. That's true. Yeah. You you just should not be honouring women in this way. Full full sexism going on, pretty much. God bless the Romans. However, these cracks were papered over when Eutropius gave the West some land from the Danube area. If you remember when Theodosius first becomes Emperor, he was technically Emperor of the East, although everyone knew he was just going to be fighting in the Danube against the Goths. Now, the Danube area was actually split between East and West, so to make everything easier, all of the Danube area was given to the East. Yeah. So Theodosius had one theatre of war to fight in. Eutropius reverses this, which pleased Stilicho. So, uh, things looking quite nice. Yeah. However, the uneasy peace did not stop the plotting, and Eutropius knew it was only a matter of time before Stilicho tried something. Mm-hmm. So, preempting an attack, Eutropius sends a letter to the man in charge of Africa. Who's that? I'll give you five points if you can remember. It's Gildo. Oh, Gildo! Yes, Gildo's still hanging around. Gildo, Gildo. You remember, Gildo fought under the Count and alongside Magnus. Yes. Theodosius had placed him in charge of Africa a while ago and he's still there. Okay. Now, remember, Africa has a lot of grain and that grain went to Italy. Yeah. So, Eutropius here is thinking, if I can control Africa through Gildo, I can control Italy. That's true. Control the breadbasket. Yes. Now, we're not sure on details, but Gildo replied to Eutropius and said he'd back him if it came to it. So, we've okay. got an alliance forming there. And then, all of a sudden, a message arrives in Constantinople, reporting that Stilicho had landed in Greece with a large army. Messages okay. were hurriedly sent back and forth. <laughs> Why? Why <laughs> what are you there? What are you doing? <laughs> We're, we're fighting Alaric in our land. So we're, we're here to defend you, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Things were a little bit tense. Eutropius realised that he was no match militarily against Stilicho. No. However, fortunately for him, Stilicho wasn't lying. He really was there to fight Alaric. Right. Now, what he planned to do after defeating the Goth, we'll never know. Because for some reason, Stilicho retreats back to Italy. And we don't really know why. Perhaps this was always the plan, and he genuinely was just fighting Alaric, and he was training his new army up, because he'd been Mm. recruiting. Didn't need to defeat Alaric at this time. So just a bit of a training exercise. Yeah, that would make sense. It could have been more sort of, I've got an army, look how close I can get. Yes. Now I'm stepping back. Exactly. Maybe like, this was a power play, a bit of a threat. It's like the fake bully that tries to pretend to punch you. He's like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, right in your face. Whoa. Yeah. He was, what are you jumping for? Whoa. He's doing that with the whole army. Ooh. <laughs> that takes some synchronization. Ah, uh, you flinched. Of course I flinched. <laughs> you have got 20,000 soldiers running towards me. Yeah. Maybe it was the fact that Alaric was tougher than Stilico realized and yeah. he literally could not defeat them and just had to retreat. Or perhaps this is my favorite theory that Gildo revolting in Africa forced him to go back. And actually, Eutropius' forward planning worked perfectly. Ah, uh, yeah. Because Gildo does indeed revolt hey. at this point. Stilicho then has to send men down into Africa to sort this out. And we'll we're, we're deal with that next week. All we need to know now is it was not long before reports came through Gildo was dead. Aww. Oh. The revolt was indeed put down. We need to give him a seat in the Coliseum, though. Yeah. Just for his Just name. Just to watch. Just he yeah. Will, yeah, he watches at the side yeah. with the... For few our sources. Yeah. Mm. Now, relations between the halves of the Empire were now practically openly hostile, despite <laughs> the two brothers in charge claiming everything was fine. Well, <laughs> to them, it probably was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How goes the Empire? Absolutely fine, sire. Everything is prosperous. Wonderful. Pass me the grapes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, send us my brother, please. Um, <laughs> best not. <laughs> yeah, Eutropius at this point knows he has to do something to get ahead of Stilicho. So, he starts plotting again. And he comes up with a bold plan. The first thing he did was declare Stilicho a public enemy. Oh dear. <laughs> it's a bold plan. <laughs> yeah, it is. No half measures here. There was nothing bad said against Honorius, of course, but this scheming vandal advisor had to go. He's a barbarian, don't you know? Mm. Then he wrote to Alaric and offered him a position in the Roman army. (laughs) Oh, you'll clean the latrine. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was was a big one. With a wave of a quill, Alaric and his Goths were now Roman troops. Alaric himself was a general. Now, this is something Alaric's been trying to get for quite some time. All this running around the Danube, he's also been sending letters to Stilicho and Eutropius saying, <laughs> let me be a general in your army and I will stop. he just, just kept sending his CV out again and again. Yeah. <laughs> Send a letter back. Thank you for your interest in position. When opens, we'll let you know. Yeah. It's like, oh, I keep getting rejected. As obviously not enough experience in pillaging. <laughs> Come on, lads, let's pillage them more. That's very clever by uh, Eutropius, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, because that immediately gets brilliant. Alaric on his side. Mm. This is brilliant for Alaric, Alaric and the Goths. Yeah. They no longer need to plunder. They are getting supplies because they're part of the army. Yeah. And Alaric himself is not only a general, he's also king of the Goths. He has a lot of power now. He's, he's inside both tents. It's gonna take a ages to finish a letter off with all those things at the bottom. Yes. Signed Alaric, King of the Goths, general in the Roman army, PhD in physics. He's <laughs> just collecting titles at this yeah. point. Yeah. Now, of course, having a Gothic general with this much power is potentially dangerous. Yeah. But Eutropius felt it was worth the gamble. He would not declare war on the West, of course not. The East and the West were one empire. (laughs) But he could quite easily cause trouble for Stilicho. Stilicho and Alaric, by this point, have been facing off for quite some time. They did not like each other. Mm. However, this is when Eutropius, who seems to be on a roll, makes his mistake. In 398, reports of a Hunnic invasion starts to appear. This seems to be the first major Hunnic invasion that we've covered. Yeah. Eutropius, realising that this threat needs to be dealt with, decides to deal with it personally. Ooh. He's <laughs> our soldier. Ah, exactly. Now, it's <laughs> not long before Eutropius had beaten back the invasions and won a great victory for Rome. Okay. So he goes off, he leads the troops, does a really good job. All right, fair enough. He's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah. But this was a bad move. Too much winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are sick of winning. Eutropius may well be a very capable politician and just proved himself to be a competent general as well, but he was also a eunuch. Uh, uh? Prejudice against eunuchs uh, ran deep. Oh and When Eutropius decided to celebrate his victory publicly in Constantinople and then promote himself to consul, oh dear. this was too much for the ruling class. As historian Stephen Williams puts it, this is as if an ex-slave had run for president in 1880 in America. Oh. or a Catholic for British Prime Minister in 1750. Uh, it's technically not impossible, but the societies at the time just would yeah. not have let that happen. Yeah. So the man writing speeches for Stilicho in the West was having a field day. Mm. And I'll quote, Oh, shame in heaven and earth, how cities behold an old woman decked in consul robes. Let the East be ruled by eunuchs. Suffer not this thing of, of shame to cross the Alps. Poor Eutropius is finding that it doesn't matter how good he is, he's never going to be accepted. That's sad. Can yeah. you pretend? <coughs> Fake beard? <laughs> so was Eutropius, was he the, the boyish, fragile-looking eunuch, or was he post? We don't know. Okay. Uh, we don't have that detail. Um, you could probably hide it if you've, you've had it done... After, I guess. Uh, Look at my beard. Yes, and no. I think, mm. in the same way, theoretically, Jewish people could have tried to hide their religion during ah. World War II, but okay. it didn't really work for them. No. no, no <laughs> yeah, either. I think it was fairly obvious if you lived in that society who Eunuch was. Fair enough. Yeah. Plus, the fact he was well known as Eutropius the Eunuch. And the little badge he wore as well. Yeah. Probably we didn't help. No. Fair enough. So things were not going too well for Eutropius at this point. Add all this to the fact that he'd given command to Alric, which, yes, is politically a clever move. However, everyone hated it. <laughs> You're yeah. giving the Goths command of our armies. And then, at some point around now, he falls out with Eudoxia. Oh dear. Yes. Eudoxia. By this point, is using all her influence with Arcadius, trying to cut out the man who had elevated her to this position. Probably associations like no people don't like you, go away. Possibly, we just don't know why they fall out. We just know they do at this mm. point. Power plays between them start, and it was on this shaky footing that another crisis suddenly looms. A group of Goths fighting for Rome suddenly revolt. Oh dear! Demanding more pay for their services, Eutropius sends out none other than Gainus to deal with this. However, when Gainus reaches the rebelling troops, they said to him what they really wanted was Eutropius out the way. Ooh, okay. So, Gainus, popular with the army, sided with the rebels and declared that Eutropius must go. Aww. Back in the city, Eutropius was turned on in an instant and was either exiled or executed. We're not sure which. okay. So I'd like to think he was exiled somewhere and lived his life peacefully. That'd be quite nice. Or he was horrifically stabbed to death. Which is probably more likely. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? So now Gainus is in charge of the armies, making him effectively in charge of the East. However, make sure you're sitting down here. Oh. Arcadius, remember him? Who? Yeah. He actually does something at this point. Does he he write a letter? Yes, he does. Oh. (laughs) He writes a letter declaring Gainus a public enemy. The general is forced to run and went north of the Danube, where he ran into a Hunnic king, wishing to please the emperor. And soon enough, Gainus's head was sent to Arcadius as a gift. Oh, nice, <laughs> yes. So here is Arcadius, and all the men controlling him are now dead. How has he survived? Because <laughs> just so much like internal power struggle that they've just not even—it's not—they're not even considering him. Are he's they? not even important. No, he's nothing. No. So it's now that Eudoxia comes to the fore. Okay. Now, whether or not it's now the Augusta controlling things, or the pair of them rolling together, is not really certain. Mm. What does happen, though, is they have a child at this point. Oh. Theodosius II. With that name, I'm guessing, becomes emperor. (laughs) Yes. Quite soon, in fact, because a year later, he is named Augustus. Okay. Well wow done, Theodosius Two. Have your certificate. Oh. You are now the youngest ever emperor. One. Aged one. Wow. Yes. <laughs> they just get younger every time, don't they? <laughs> so, Arcadius and Eudoxia are given a bit of breathing space when Alaric decides to invade Italy and Stilicho's held up with or fighting him for a while. Yeah. And We'll cover next week what's happening in the West. As for the East, Arcadius starts putting up statues of his wife all over the place. She's definitely in charge. Or Eudoxia starts putting up statues of herself all over the place. <laughs> That's what's happening. Either way, this annoys Honorius, yeah. who definitely comes across as the more sexist of the brothers in this story. The West are not happy with Eudoxia having any power whatsoever. Yeah. But then disaster. Dun, dun, dun. Eudoxia dies in childbirth, oh. leaving Arcadius alone. Oh dear. <laughs> But Stilicho cannot take advantage of this because the midden really has hit the windmill in the (laughs) west, unfortunately. Oh dear. Yes, Stilicho is now not only dealing with Alaric, but also invasions of Huns and invasions of Vandals and another Gothic invasion. Oh, and Britain's just revolted and declared its own emperor. Oh. And everything's going horribly wrong. It was so stable a few years ago. Stilicho's in the middle of this trying to deal with all of it. Oh dear. The sheer number of invasions and the internal politics of fighting this war is wearing down on Stilicho. And we'll find out what happens to him next week. (laughs) He could do the spa weekend, couldn't he? (laughs) Yes, he could. In the meantime, the East is relatively peaceful. Hmm. Arcadius probably hung around for a while, ate some grapes, played with his young son. And then in May 408, he dies. Uh, leaving his now seven-year-old son in charge. We have no idea how he died, but it's supposed to have been of natural causes. Aww. Yeah. He doesn't even die in an interesting way. I bet he got splintered, didn't he? Probably got a splinter. Choked on a grape. Choked on a grape. That's what he did. He was throwing them up in the air, catching them. So you should cut your grapes in half. Yeah, exactly. And there we go. That is Arcadius. (laughs) Was it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> He's only going to gain points based on how long he lasted. Probably, yeah. Uh, so he was probably going to beat Quintilus, but not by much. <laughs> well, let's rate him. Yeah. Phytius Maximus. Okay, before we start here, Arcadius is clearly a puppet emperor. Yes. Our second after Valentinian II, if you don't count Gordian three, Elagabalus and Alexander, Yeah. Uh, they were kind of puppets, but not they as were. much. Valentinian II was easy to score in Fightius Maximus because he did nothing and his advisors did nothing. Ah, uh, okay. It's a little bit trickier this, because you cannot deny that the Hunnic invasion was beaten back under the leadership of Arcadius. Yes, it was Eutropius who did it, but it was on Arcadius's watch. So how, how do we go about rating that? Well, it's very similar to Augustus, in a way, because it wasn't... Augustus fighting or doing anything. It was his general, Agrippa, yeah. So he he did it all for Augustus, didn't he, really? Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah. I I don't think we can give nothing, because things happened under his rule, but equally, he certainly doesn't deserve much. No. At all, is my personal opinion. I agree with that. So, for beating back the Hunnic invasion, I'm going to give him a point, personally, I think. I'll join you. Okay, so that is two... Impressive for never leaving your bedroom. Approbium, crazy there, there's nothing here. Nope. No. <clears throat> Zero. Zero. Successes. Success Ultimus. Again, how do we judge a puppet? Valentinian two was just obviously unsuccessful. Yeah. He sat in Milan, ran away from Magnus. Yes. And then died. Yes he did. <laughs> Whereas You've got to got to admit, things are a little bit more successful under Arcadius. I'd say they're not at all. The no. Empire ended up... Got, You've got invasions from all sides by the end of it. That's in the West, not in the East. Are we defining that split now? Because they didn't at the time. The split's pretty much happening. The split, by historians, is usually given on Theodosius' death. Okay. So if you had to choose an arbitrary line for when it splits, we've just hit it. Okay. With the brothers Arcadius and Honorius, you've got East and West. Okay. Now I would argue that it's not a line in the sand myself, and it is a gradual thing over time. It's been it happening for a while, hasn't it? It has. Um. But why not? Why not say it's happened? Okay. And I think we could justifiably mark Eastern and Western emperors from this point on, based on what happens in their half of the empire. Fair enough. And saying that the East is relatively peaceful here. True. Which seems quite successful, but uh, it's not great. The other thing, is history unkind to him? The only sources we have are Prostilico and Honorius, sort of, sources. Yeah. Arcadius is always portrayed as being a puppet emperor led by everyone. But how true is this? Now, I agree with Rufinus and Eutropius. Yes, those two lead him. Yeah. But after Eutropius' death, remember, he gets rid of Gainus and rules with his wife. Yeah, Okay. See, he he actually banishes a usurping general. So he made one decision. (laughs) Now, Eudoxia is usually portrayed as some kind of scheming witch controlling Mm. things in the background, but I've seen nothing beyond just typically misogynistic, vague side notes to support this. Yeah, she doesn't sound scheming and horrible. She just sounds like somebody taking control, because the emperor's not. Well, I see no reason to believe that she wasn't essentially co-ruling with her husband. Yeah, yeah. Now, she might not have been. She might have been in charge, but I've seen nothing to suggest that that's more likely than the two of them working together. Yeah, it's just we're so used to Arcadius being controlled up until this point. That's true. The story of him being controlled, kind of just by default, carries on. That's a good point. Yeah, it could quite easily be statues of Eudoxia being put up because her husband loves her rather than because she's ordering them. But that's true. We just don't know. <laughs> hmm. And then she dies. She does. And Arcadius is alone, sort of. I didn't mention the next person to step up, which is the Praetorian prefect, a man named Anthemius, who we will definitely come across in Theodosius II's episode. Anthemius. But there's little to indicate that Arcadius is a puppet at the end of his reign. He's a fully grown man by this point. Mm. So are we being slightly unduly harsh on him? But all that said, even if he did have a bit of a say at the end of his rule, he still didn't do much, did didn't he? Didn't do anything. No. Let's face it. If he was any good, he would have somehow done something to maybe try and help out Stilico, Or True. if he wanted to defeat Stilico. But yeah, he just does nothing. He allowed the Empire to be fractured. Yeah. I mean, the generals sort of leader, I get that. But he was in charge. Yeah. He fractured the Empire. You could argue. Him yes. Honorious. 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 Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely argue that, couldn't you? So, because of that and the eventual downfall of the West, I'm giving him one. One. Yeah, I'm going to give him one for the letter he sent <laughs> exiling Gainus. Actually, I'm changing it. I'm giving it zero then. Okay i'm giving him zero fair enough so that is a total of one for success as yeah. ultimus a pathetically low score but considering valentinian 2 got zero i do feel like Elias did slightly true. more than valentinian 2 yeah but we need to differentiate somehow between these puppet emperors <laughs> it's true yeah. so i'm quite happy with that one for him so well done that's a one Image okay what's he look like curly short hair no bigs he's too young Burrows in his hair, looks a bit scared. Not bad. He looks identical to the last ones. Yeah, they're all quite similar at the moment. You've got big, that same scary eyes. Big scary eyes. He's a bit thinner of the face. Yes. He looks very young. He looks young, it looks like he's got quite big bags under his eyes if a statue he can looks do that. looks very tired, yeah, yeah. You I know look looks... what you mean. He looks tired but young. And... and they're very stylized now. Yeah, they're becoming more stylized. It's, it's certainly not inspiring, is it? No. No. He's not even someone I want to go for a meal with. <laughs> no, let alone follow. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 this is the most disappointing in a while. It is uh, zero. Yeah, I'm going to give it a zero. It's just really bad. It's a bad bust, Star It's not a good bust. I've seen better. Temple completed. Right, here's his round. <laughs> it's oh, where yes. he gets the scores. Yes, it is. Oh, we're in the 400s as well now. I just realised... Yes, we're actually in the 400s. So how long do you think? Well, he was born in 377, so he's just 31 when he died, right? About that, yeah. Yes. He became emperor at the age of six. Yep. So, oh. it's 20-something, mm. 20, 20 isn't it? 25 years. 25 years. He ruled from 383 to 408. Yeah, 25. 25. years. That's shockingly good. Is very good. I've not got my spreadsheet on me, so I can't tell you exactly where he's coming. Uh, but it's high, that's going to put him top five, definitely, off the top yeah. of my head. Maybe even third. Exactly. Wow. Uh, so what has that translate to scores? That's a score of 3.13. 3.13. A very respectable score in tempo completo. That's surprisingly good. Oh, wow. Which gives him a total score of... 6.13. 6.13. I think he'd, he'd be quite pleased with that. Uh, maybe even surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's pathetically low, but he was a pathetic emperor, so he deserves a low score. I get a feeling he probably did loads, we just don't know about it. it was 25 years, he probably did a lot of internal things in the East, because it's stable. You, like. Yeah, you, surely he wasn't sitting around doing nothing for 25 years. No. At least the last 10, I get the impression he was starting to get a bit more involved. Yeah. But we, we just don't know. Hmm. The sources kind of indicate that he was a quite private and pious man. He wasn't blowing everything on parties all the time. So you get the impression he would have been involved somehow, yeah. but just not not in the big decisions. No. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. But does he deserve... Oh, let's just go into it. Do they have Do they a have certain, certain No. No. There's literally no reason to give him César at all, is there? Nope. No. But will he beat his brother? Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Because his side is crumbling to pieces right now. Isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, the reason why we did Arcadius first is not because he was the older, but because he dies before yes. Honorius. Yeah. Which is generally how I'm doing it. It's not yeah. who became Emperor first, it's who dies first. So Honorius is gonna last a little bit longer. Okay. And as you say, everything is falling apart. Oh dear. Oh and it really does start falling apart. Brilliant. Yeah, we are only 70 years from the fall of the West now. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, we're coming to the end. Good luck. Okay, so that's a no for Jeanne César this week. All we need to say is a couple of thank yous this week. Thank you very much to M. Young for your generous contribution to our Senate. Thank you, M. Young. Young. And Darren Al Butler. Thank you, Darren. Or Al Butler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your very generous contribution. Yes. So don't forget, if you want to join our Senate, you can join for as little as $1 a month, up to $15 a month, and you get access to our Senate-only episodes, Roman Republic, Totalis Rankium. You can also access some of Rob's um, exclusive artwork for your desktop backgrounds or phone backgrounds, whatever you want. Um, You can also get a coin Mm. and a mug. Yes, depending on the level that you go into But everyone from $1 to $15 has access to the episodes. Yes. And finally. Congratulations, I think. Congratulations, yes. To one of our earliest listeners and great supporter, LJ Trafford. Just released her latest book. Came out yesterday or a couple of days ago? Yeah, possibly yesterday. I think it came out. When we are recording. Yes. Yes, it was definitely out now when you're listening Otho's Regret. It's the third in a series of. Four novels about the year of the four and emperors. And I'm, I'm quite looking forward to Vitellius' feast as well afterwards. Yes. I'll be quite, quite yeah. the gluttony in that. Yeah, I've read the first two, really enjoyed them. Yeah, they're I'm very good. Looking aren't they? for, it's fun, but at the same time, can also be hard hitting. Yes. And it's a clever mixture of the two. Yeah. And yeah, I, I won't spoil. Particularly one plot element that happened near the end of the last book, but genuinely made me go, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) oh dear, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, go and buy that book. It's there, they're really good. There's Palatine, first one, yeah, Galba's Men, yeah, then Otho's Regret, which is just out, yes, Yes. and Vitellius's Feast, which is not even, I think, myth publishes yet. So, yeah, good luck getting hold of that. (laughs) Try and steal the manuscript, that's true, yes, right, okay, and. Don't forget you can download us on Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher. We've got a Facebook page as well. Um, We post a lot of things on that. We've also got Twitter, Mm -hmm. but we also post things on that as well. If you want to see the maps or the ranking cards or anything like that, visit our WordPress site, which now we've got a bit more time on our hands, I might be able to actually update again. Mm. Yes. And all that leads us to say is... Ouch! Why? (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. In a future of the civil service you want to rise become the right-hand man of the empire you can have all the power in the world with one very hard nasty painful step. brace yourself it's crushing do away with lust are you distracted by men and women flaunting themselves around you you get horrible urges prevent these urges from getting in the way of real fun paperwork don't take my word for it let's listen to some of our happy customers I don't want to be a civil servant. put the spoons away. God, <coughs> oh. is that a pass on of water? Just listen to these plucky young lads ready to start their career in the civil service. I want to die full of happiness and cheer. So come down today to Bull Smashers, greeting civil servants from 375. Wig. Oh, might want cut that. Yeah. <laughs>